Well, good morning, guys, and welcome to All Things Christmas here at Fellowship of Faith. Um, but I want to talk to you about a different season instead, and this season is called Advent. Now, there's this little-known Christian holiday that's going to occur on November 30th. We're like four days out, all right? This little-known Christian holiday that no one except a few monastic orders and people in Scotland pay any attention to. And it's called the Feast of St. Andrew. And here's why it's important. Because from the Feast of St. Andrew, or at least from the Sunday closest to it, begins a four-week season called Advent. And this season is, 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 is a sort of, of anticipatory time leading up to Christmas, and it has its own set of traditions, just like Christmas, that go along with it. I'll show you two of the ones that were kind of like key for me growing up. Maybe you have these things as well. Anyone, uh, anyone do this? Anyone have like the Advent wreath thing going on? I don't know if you do it today. We don't really do it at home, but I remember growing up during this season called Advent, we always had like this Advent wreath thing on our table. And, and for those of you unfamiliar with it, the, the, the system is basically this. Every single Sunday that you get closer to Christmas, you light another candle. So if the season is four Sundays long plus days following, Sunday one, the first candle, Sunday two, the second candle, with the big white candle in the middle getting lit up on Christmas Day. Now, ours growing up was kind of cool. I remember this thing because it like played off of like the convection from the heat. You'd light these candles and there was this fan above it, and the fan would start spinning from the heat, and they had these metal things that would hang down and like ding these bells. So like as an eight-year-old kid, this was the best. I mean, it, it really kind of birthed in me this love of fire because you would go and you'd find the matches. And you'd like this, and what you would hear for the rest of the night was ding, 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 is this thing would just keep spinning all the way till Christmas. It's, it's curious to me that this Advent wreath disappeared after the first year we got it, and Mom to this day claims no whereabouts of its location. Advent wreaths, one of the traditions. How about this one? Any of you guys rocking the Advent calendars? Right? Yeah. For those of you who are uninitiated, you get this, this well, calendar that's either a, a heavy piece of paper that you tape up in your window, or if you're really splurged, it has little doors that you open in like a cardboard box, and each day reveals another picture or Bible verse or a little piece of chocolate or little candy or something, and it keeps counting down to Christmas Day. During this season, churches far and wide are, are immersing themselves in all of these, these, these Christmas prophecies, these prophetic passages from, from the Old Testament, talking about what it would be like when God would come to visit his people. The hardcore churches don't even dare sing a Christmas carol this time of year. I remember on my internship getting just kind of like ripped good one by our, our worship director because heaven forbid it was like mid-December and I suggested we do Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And, and I swear you would have thought that I suggested we sacrifice goats or something like that. It's like, what are you thinking, man? This is Advent, not Christmas. And for those that would even dip their toe in the water, it would be more stuff like, oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel, than a joy to the world 
kind of feel. And even among the super hardcore, you wouldn't even see a Christmas tree until December 24th, the season called Advent that we're entering into. For those of you who grew up with it, you know the traditions well, but for those of you who didn't grow up in a church, or even if you did, didn't grow up in a liturgical church, there's probably little knowledge of what this season is at all. So today what I want to do is I want to talk to you about Advent. I want to talk to you about what it is. And I want to talk to you about why we do it here at Fellowship of Faith. And I want to talk to you about how you can use it as a way to really impact your own life with God. So what is it? Well, as I said earlier, it's a season like Lent or summer or football season. It's a period of time marked by four Sundays that precede Christmas. But as you look at like this calendar here, and as you look at that, 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 that wreath behind it, don't think about it so much as a just season of time, as much as you think of it like a countdown. Advent is a clock. It is a ticking clock of a countdown building up to Christmas. Now, the word Advent is actually from a Latin word called Adventus, is how you would say it, which means something like coming or arrival. There was this, this guy in the, the, the late 4th century, earlier 5th century, his name was Jerome, and Jerome was the man, and, and Jerome believed that it was important that people understand the Bible in their native language, and not just in the high church language understood only by a few. At the time of Jesus, Greek was the universal language, kind of like English today, that most people grew up with with at least some degree of familiarity with, and it became the language of, of commerce and trade and a place of commonality. But by the time of Jerome, Greek had faded, and in this later half of the Roman Empire, Latin was the common language of the day. And Jerome believed it was important for the people who spoke Latin, grew up knowing Latin, and didn't know a word of Greek to be able to understand and read the Bible in their language and their day. And he took this, this very important Greek word, pronounced parousia. It's a big word in the New Testament, referring to the coming of Christ. And I don't mean his first coming. I mean the time when he's going to come again. He took this Greek word, parousia, and he put it into the language of the day, which was Adventus, the coming, the arrival. And the way you got to think about it is in an early Roman Empire kind of way that when a king or a Caesar would choose to come and visit your town, your place, this was the parousia, this was the coming, the arrival of the king. Maybe the best translation for Adventist today might be something like this, presidential visit. This was the sense, the weight, the scope that it carried when the king is coming to our place and we want to be ready. This idea of parousia or Adventus, the advent of Jesus. It's, it's, it's central 
to his teaching. You'll see Jesus all over the place in, in various ways talking about this, this time when he's going to come again. He tells his disciples constantly things like, keep watch, be ready. When I return, I think of the book of Revelation where this refrain comes up constantly, I am coming soon. Let me share with you just a couple of passages today to give you the scope and the flavor of, of, of what I mean. This comes from Matthew chapter 24, and this is what Jesus says. He says, therefore, keep watch. Keep watch. Because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. How about this? Later, Jesus will say, Pages are stuck together. There we go. He says this. Be dressed. Be dressed ready for service and keep your lamps burning. Like men waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet. So that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. I tell you the truth, he will dress himself to serve, will have them recline at the table, and will come and wait on them. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them ready, even if he should come in the second or the third watch of the night. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. And you can go through the teachings, you can go through the perils. Time and again, Jesus talks about this time when he is going to come Again, there's this one parable I love. It's called the parable of the ten virgins. And here's how it kind of goes. There's ten virgins, and they don't want to be virgins anymore. And so they're waiting. Um, yeah, it's true. Who, who does? Um, and they're waiting, <laughs> as they should, <laughs> for their fiancé to come and the wedding to begin and for him to take them as a wife. And he's a long time coming. Now there's five who are kind of like on their game. And it says they have these lamps, and they light them, and they bring extra oil with, because they know they might be camped out here a while, watching and waiting for him to return. There's five others who Jesus calls Foolish. Eh, I'll deal with it when it, get, when it gets here. You know what I mean? They fall asleep. 
And then suddenly the alarm sounds. He's coming. He's coming. And those who have their lamps lighted, those who have their oil, are ready and they're visible and they're seen. And those other five who fell asleep find that their oil has run out and they go, give us some. And they're like, no stinking way. And it says when the master arrives, when the fiancé arrives, Those five who were ready are able to go with him while the other five are shut out, doors locked, weeping, with gnashing of teeth, filled with regret, because they were not ready. This idea of Jesus, this Adventus, is everywhere. I think of those early Christian creeds, those summary statements that try to capture the heart of what Christianity believes. And really, when you get down to it, if you were to write a book on what Christianity believes, I bet you're getting to be a pretty thick book. So it's always fascinating to me how people choose to summarize it. What do they see as those key central aspects to the teachings of Jesus and what it means to follow him. And I think of this one short ancient creed that's held by all believers far and wide today for centuries past and for centuries to come where it simply says this. He ascended into heaven, Jesus, and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. And from thence, which means like then and there, from then and there, He will come to judge the living and the dead. He'll what? He'll come. Central to what Jesus teaches is that he is coming again or later. Here's the Nicene Creed. It says, on the third day he rose again, Jesus, according to the scriptures, and ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father, and he will come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead whose kingdom will have no end. Because to these early Christians, this coming, this arrival, this return of Jesus, this Adventus, was central to everything they held on to and everything they believed. Which begs a question. This morning, how long do you wait? If you're one of those virgins waiting for your betrothed to come, how how long do you wait before you say, I'm moving on? I'm moving on and I'm not waiting anywhere. How long do you wait when someone says, I'll be there in five minutes, right? How long do you wait until you leave without them? Do you give them equal time? Do you give them five more minutes? Do you give them 10? Do you give them 20? If someone says, I'll be there in five minutes, do you wait three days until you leave? Or what if someone says, I'll meet you at five? I'll meet you at five for dinner. How long do you wait until you eat without them? Do you give them 10? Do you give them 20? 
Do you put yourself on a permanent fast saying, I will not eat again until they arrive? How long do you wait? Or even if it's nonspecific, a lot of you are doing holiday plans and gatherings. Maybe you got together with family for Thanksgiving and you're like, yeah, I'll be over for Thanksgiving or I'm coming home for Christmas. How long do you wait until you start cutting the bird, opening the presents, or doing all those kinds of things? See, this is why we have this season called Advent, because the early Christians had to force themselves to wait. They had to make it intentional. They had to remember that Jesus promised he is actually going to return. And it is so easy when the wait gets long to forget that you're waiting to begin with. And this is why we here at Fellowship of Faith celebrate Advent too. Because we too need to remember that we're waiting for something. That this isn't it, that it isn't just one day to the next to the next, whatever it might be, but that we are waiting for Jesus to come back. We are anticipating his return, that this has to be central to us too. The last words recorded in the Bible that Jesus says is this, yes, I am coming soon. You could even argue it's the last words in the Bible. There's only like five words after that in the book of Revelation. But you know, I look at this sometimes, and I kind of have like this Princess Bride moment. You remember this? Inconceivable, right? And it finally comes up to him and goes, why do you keep using that word? Soon, why do you keep using that word? I do not think it means what you think it means. Because it's been 2,000 plus years, right? That's a long time to wait. And how long do you wait until you really, for all intents and purposes, just stop waiting? To begin with, let me ask you, how many of you here today live as though this is true? Live with an daily anticipation and readiness that Jesus is coming soon. Let me ask you this, just out of curiosity. How different would your life look if you did? And so what these early Christians did, and what we do as well, is enter a time where we remember that we are waiting. Because as people, we need to be intentional about things. As people... We need routine. It's kind of like this. Have you ever had a system in your house where you're like, man, I'm only going to do like dishes when I feel like it? All right, like what inevitably happens? You don't do any dishes. They keep piling up. The monster pile keeps getting more and more foreboding. You're eating off paper. You're eating out of pots. And it hits like that breaking strain where you finally have to collapse under the weight because you can't even walk through your hallway anymore. You know what I mean, right? Or exercising. Which of us have ever approached fitness like, I'm going to go work out when I feel like it? Oh boy, right? 
right? And likewise, if we are not intentional, if we do not build in routine and practice of waiting and leave it to when we're inspired or when we feel like it or when it strikes us unaware, it fades into the distance. And we forget to live with that readiness that Jesus called his disciples to from the beginning. This is why we do Advent, to remind ourselves every year that, yes, folks, we are waiting. That we are to be living in this mindset, in perspective, that Jesus is coming soon and orienting our lives towards that goal with an anticipation that yearns and aches like a little kid waiting for Christmas. Counting down each passing day. So how do you take this? How do you take this then and, and, and bring it out of the theoretical? And bring it into daily life to let it impact your life with God today? Well, let me ask you. How does this make you feel? When I say this phrase, how does this make you feel? From today, there is only 29 days till Christmas. Now, if you're under the age of 12, it's like an eternity. <laughs> right? It's like, oh, it's not even December 1 yet. Oh, I can't wait, right? But for those of you who have entered the high school fray of life and beyond, when I say there's only 29 days till Christmas, what does that emotionally do to you? Do you find your mind starting to race? Do you find this, this low-grade anxiety or panic? It's like, man, i got all, all this stuff to do. I have got way too much to do. And it's supposed to be like this special time, so I want to enjoy it all. It's not just about checking the list, right? How am I going to get all the cleaning and the shopping and the cooking and the cookies and the Christmas cards and, and, and the wrapping and, and, and the parties? And I like to go to this event and I like to go to that event and I like to see this thing and I like to experience that thing. And you're trying to shove it all in and your calendar starts to look like a presidential calendar where every moment unwittingly becomes accounted for, and you're like, oh, could it just be longer? And so what do you do? Well, some of you, based on your personality, you just throw your hands up in despair, right? You're just like, whatever, whatever, I'm just going to roll over and take it. You know, you know what I mean? It's just, it's just there. But for others of you, it kind of kicks you into this, this kind of focus, this kind of drive. I got to start getting it done. I got to keep this on my mind. You start getting prepared. Jesus says, I'm coming soon. He says, I'm coming soon. Are you getting prepared? And I want to talk to you just a bit about this, because getting prepared can start to sound like the most frenetic exhausting, time-rushed thing. But the way that I have found Jesus invites me and is connected with me in this time of waiting, it's counterintuitive. It happens by slowing down. It happens by slowing down and taking time to actually remember. 
It happens by slowing down, taking times to actually ponder. It happens by slowing down, by pushing out all these urgent things that I fill my life with and remembering that there is something central and far more important that stands at the foundational core that this is true. That he's coming soon and no matter what else I have to do, this fundamentally has to capture me again. Let me share with you a couple of techniques. A couple of ways maybe that you can do it this season. Try this. Make a pact with yourself if you live alone. Or a pact with your roommate or your family if you live with others. That every night, you're going to stop and engage in something together. Pick a time and make it fixed. Say 9 p.m. Or if you have younger kids and you want to do it with them, maybe 8. I don't know. Here's what we do. Turn off the lights. Turn off the TV. Put your phone in the other room on silent. Close the laptop. Light a candle. And for 60 seconds, force yourself to just be still. Have someone read a Bible passage. Even if it's one verse or maybe the beginning of the Christmas story and you read a couple little verses a day. Find a Christmas carol you like. Sing a verse together. Even if your voice is bad. <laughs> and make a pact as a family with one another that this will happen every day. Because there's going to be days when mom or dad is on the road or at the office or out of town. There's going to be days when, when, when basketball practice or whatever sport that you're in is going to suck one person away. But who's ever remaining, who's ever in that home that day is responsible for keeping the vigil going and make it a simple practice every single day to drown out the rush and focus and remember that this is actually true. Here's another technique. It's Wednesday nights. We do them here at Fellowship of Faith. We call it Ancient Advent. It's kind of like what I just described to you, but on steroids. We come into this place and the lights are off. The lights are off except for a solitary candle the first week and two on the second and Christmas tree lights just giving faint glow all around. We find some really creepy Christmas carol music <laughs> and we just play it in the background. And we come in and we come into the thickness of it all. And we gather together and we read those ancient prophecies and we sing those ancient carols that haunt you to the core. And we fix our eyes with an anticipation that's heavy with the presence of God. 
remembering that Jesus did, in fact, know what he was talking about. You don't even have to cook. Come early for dinner. And take one more thing off your plate. It's just two ways. But whatever you do, make this a season. A season that isn't just a rush to Christmas to get everything done. But to remember that what Jesus said is true. It's a season to ponder. To examine yourself. To get yourself right with him and your heart right with him. It's a season to meet Jesus, to repent. The early Christians would fast. It's a season to shift your perspective to that most ancient of prayer that follows these final words in the Bible where those early believers respond, Come, Lord Jesus. As we count down to that day, this is what Advent is and why we do it. And hopefully, in it, somehow you found a way to make the most of it for yourself as well. So, in that spirit, I invite you to rise. Man, just invite you to come forward. If Jesus is coming soon, getting right with him is vitally important. And the early Christians in this time would practice repentance, both individually and together. And I just want to give you a chance to do that today. Maybe you're here today and you're just not feeling right with God. Maybe you're here today and you know you're not right with him. You know he loves you. And whatever it is and whatever's messed up in there, you can bring that to him and know that he's a God who wants to make you right with him. To love you and forgive you. To always welcome you back as his own. So let's just take a few. If you don't mind, just bow your head maybe, close your eyes, just give yourself some space. And whatever you need to tell him, just share it right now.